Section thirty five of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume three continued. January the thirtieth. I have been laying down a little sort of plan for my future life. I told you the terms I could live upon with the farmer whom Patty found out for me. But as I cannot expect to be boarded at so cheap a rate when my children are grown bigger, I have been devising the means how to enlarge my scanty income against the time that our wants must necessarily increase, for I am firmly resolved my kind Lady V shall never augment the debt I already owe her. You know, my dear, I am pretty dexterous at my needle. The woman where I lodge deals in embroidery which is much in fashion, and I think I have not seen any, although she pays largely to her artifices in this way, equal to some pieces of my own work. Now, my Cecilia, I have resolved to apply myself to this when I get into the country. I showed the woman a small fire-screen, wrought by me when I was a girl, the same which I remember my poor Mr. Arnold accused me of neglecting for my Horace, and which had never been made up. She said the work was so curious that she would give any price for such a hand. Patty is well skilled in this sort of work too, and as I find she is determined not to quit me, I must in return endeavour not to let the poor girl be too great a sufferer for her kindness. I think we shall, between us, be able to do a good deal, and my landlady has promised to receive and dispose of our work for a small consideration, as fast as we can send it to her, which we shall have constant opportunities of doing. You cannot imagine how pleased I am with my scheme. Patty is in raptures at the thoughts of her being permitted to continue with me. I would even now set about my project, if my health would allow me. But alas, my Cecilia, I am still so feeble. I am not able to sit up more than an hour or two at a time, and cannot walk across my narrow room without help. Fresh air and a little gentle exercise would, I am sure, more than anything, contribute to restore my strength. But the means to procure these are not conveniently within my power so that I must wait that slow but generally sure remedy, patience. February the 10th. I have a wonderful incident to relate to you, my Cecilia. I know you will join with me in admiring and praising God for his gracious providence. This morning I was but just risen and got down into my little parlour when Patty came to tell me a man desired to speak with me. I immediately ordered him to be admitted. Patty accordingly introduced the person who had stood in the entry while she was talking to me. He seemed to be a man between forty and fifty years old, mean in his apparel though clean. I nodded to my maid to leave the room, which, when she had done, I civilly demanded of the stranger his business. I was standing when he entered the room, and continued doing so while I spoke to him, not thinking from his appearance that he was entitled to sit down with me. You know I am not proud, but there is a sort of usage established which we naturally fall into. The man, who had advanced some steps into the room, looked over his shoulder as if for a chair, 
so i understood the motion and accordingly sat down myself and bade him to do so too he did so and with an air as if he considered the civility to be only what was due to him i believe madam said he though you do not remember me that you cannot be ignorant of your having had a relation of the name of warner who went to the west indies about five-and-twenty years ago i answered i do remember to have heard of such a person you see that unfortunate man before you he replied i am your near relation madam your father was my mother's only brother i have been very unhappy i lost in my return to england what almost five-and-twenty years industry had scraped together the sum was but a moderate one yet sufficient to have supported me decently for the remainder of my life i asked him how it happened i began said he to grow sickly abroad and was told that my native air might restore me this advice so well agreed with my own inclinations which were for a long time past bent upon returning home that i took the first opportunity of a ship bound for england but we were unluckily met by a french privateer who stripped me of everything but the clothes on my back and set me on shore on the coast of spain whence i begged my passage to england having nothing to support me but a few shillings part of a collection made for me and my fellow sufferers among some english gentlemen whilst he spoke i thought i could discover a likeness in his face to my father he was reckoned extremely to resemble his sister the mother of this unhappy mr warner she was a fine woman and i had seen her picture his story was credible and i had no reason to doubt the truth of what he said and here i will give you a brief account of what occasioned this unfortunate relation to be thus long an alien from his family his mother as you have now heard was my father's sister who threw her person and her fortune away upon a broken officer this act disobliged my father so much that from the time of her marriage to the hour of her death he never would see her her husband died when this their only child was about nine years old the poor mother survived him by a short time and the orphan boy was left to my father's mercy i have often heard him say he was very unlucky and never could be persuaded into a love of his book he was however put to school and my father bestowed the same expense on his education as if he had been his own son when he was about sixteen years old as he wrote a good hand and had a great capacity for figures he bound him apprentice to a merchant in which situation he had been above a year and during that time he had made several elopements and was with difficulty reconciled to his master through my father's mediation when he committed such a misdemeanour in his master's family as obliged him to abscond accordingly he stole unknown to anybody on board a ship bound to the west indies of which his master was partly owner where he hid himself and nobody could tell what was become of him till my father about nine months after his departure received a letter from him dated from jamaica wherein he begged pardon of him and his master for his elopement told him 
that he had been taken into a merchant's compting-house, and declared that he meant by his diligence and good behaviour to make amends for his past ill-conduct. This was the only letter my father, or any of his friends, ever had from him. He answered it, but had no return nor could he from repeated inquiries made two or three years after learn anything of him so that all his relations concluded him dead these particulars i had heard before from my father and his relations perfectly agreeing with him in every circumstance i could have no doubt but that he was the man sir said i i very well remember to have heard your story your likeness to my father, who was the image of your mother, leaves me no room to question your being the Mr. Warner of whom I have so often heard. You are indeed my near relation, and it grieves my heart to see you in such distress, and the more so, as I have not the ability I could wish to assist you. But we will talk over more particulars after breakfast." I rang the bell and ordered Patty to get some coffee. While we were at breakfast I asked my new-found kinsman by what means he had discovered me so soon, for, by the way, I should have told you that he said he had been arrived but two days in London. He answered that one of the English gentlemen, who had been kind to him in Cadiz, had given him a letter to a gentleman in London, for whom he was to leave it at a coffee-house in Pall Mall that as he was delivering it he perceived another letter lying on the bar directed to sir george biddulph the two names struck him remembering them to be those of his cousin his uncle he supposed was dead but he determined to inquire who that gentleman was and if he found it to be my brother to apply to him for assistance he had soon an opportunity of being satisfied my brother happened to come in his chariot to the door just as mr warner was going out he knew the arms and had some recollections even of his features it was past three o'clock said he and i heard sir george direct his servant home i concluded he was going to dinner and that the morning was the properest time to call on him and having informed myself where he lived I accordingly went, yesterday morning. He stopped and sipped his coffee for some time without speaking. And did you see him, sir? Yes, madam, I saw him and heard him too. He has got a fine house and seems to have everything very elegant about him. When I was let into the hall I desired the footman to acquaint his master that a gentleman, newly arrived from the West Indies, wanted to speak with him being commissioned by mr warner a relation of his to inquire after him the footman went upstairs and returning presently asked me if i brought a letter from the gentleman i mentioned i said no but i had something to say to him the servant after delivering this message came half-way down the first flight of the stairs and leaning over the banisters he bid me walk up I found your brother and his lady, I suppose, in her dressing-room at breakfast. There was tea and chocolate on the table. I bowed very respectfully. The lady scarce moved her head. Your brother said, Your servant, sir, and viewed me from head to foot, but fixed his eyes earnestly on my face. The footman who introduced me had withdrawn. 
"'Sir,' said I, "'have you quite forgot me?' "'I remember you well,' he answered hesitatingly, "'and with a change of countenance that boded me no good. "'I protest, sir, I—I I know nothing of you. "'Have you forgot your cousin, Ned Warner?' "'He looked at his wife and she at him. "'He forced a smile at her, which she returned without knowing for what.' I do remember there was such a one related to the family, whom we all supposed to be dead. As for recollecting his person, tis really so long ago that I—I I can't say I do. All this while he let me stand. He was lolling in an easy chair and had a dish of chocolate in his hand, of which he sipped and spoke to me by turns. His wife was feeding a monkey that was perched on her shoulder. I am indeed more altered than you, Sir George. The hardships which I have undergone, and my long residence in a warmer climate, may readily account for that. But have you no traces of my features, no recollection of my voice? I have carried you many times in my arms. Sir, I do not dispute the identity of your person, but I should be glad to know your commands with me commands i have none sir the poor must entreat not command i then proceeded to tell him my unhappy story in the same words i just now gave it to you his lady seemed not to mind me but kept talking to her marmoset he listened to me but with so much impatience in his looks as quite abashed me i was still standing but a little to take off the awkwardness of my posture I had ventured to rest one arm on the back of a chair. When I had done speaking, your brother got up in a violent passion, to which he seemed to have been working himself up during the time I took to explain myself. He whisked away the chair on which I was leaning, and walked to the other end of the room, then turning to his lady, "'Is not this a pretty fellow to force his way in upon us by a sham story of a message from a relation?' and now truly by way of an agreeable surprise he turns out to be that very relation come a-begging in his own proper person sir said i i ask your pardon for the liberty i took to gain admittance to you but you will be the more inclined to excuse me if you please to consider that it was out of respect to you that i would not in the mean appearance i now make acknowledge myself to any of your servants for the same reasons I imagined, that had I not sent a message which I was in hopes would have little interested you in my favour, I might have been ordered to send you my business by your footman, which would, I thought, have been quite improper. "'You might have writ,' said he, interrupting me. "'Ah, sir,' shaking my head, "'if I had,' and I stopped short, "'you might not have been much the better for it.' is that what you would say with a contemptuous half-sneer in short sir i can do nothing for you what is it that you expect i should do i do not mean to be a burden to you sir i replied i was bred to business i write a good hand and understand accounts i hope to get into some merchant's house but in the meantime i am starving i am an utter stranger here though in my own country. I observed he had slipped his hand into his breeches pocket, 
and seemed to be feeling for a bit of money. "'Sir George,' said the lady, who had observed him as well as I, "'tis to no purpose to give anything to these sort of people. Assist one, and they will send another to you, and so there is no end to such claims.' Your brother withdrew his hand from his pocket as if checked by his lady's looks. "'Sir, it is not in my power to assist you.' I then asked him if you were living, and where I could find you, for though you were not born when I left England, I heard afterwards that Sir Robert Biddulph had a daughter. Your brother replied peevishly he knew nothing of you, as you preferred the friendship of strangers to that of your relations. He then rang the bell and called his man to dress him, went out of the room without casting a look at me. I ventured to ask his lady your name, if you had changed it, and where you lived. She told me your name, but said she knew not where you lodged, adding I might spare myself the trouble of inquiring you out, for to her knowledge you could do nothing for me. I took my leave, but inquiring of a footman whom I found in the hall, he directed me to St. Albans Street, where you formerly lodged. I went there, and it was with difficulty that I could prevail on the woman of the house to tell me where you now lived, but my necessities made me urgent, and I waited on you this morning, madam, to make my distress known to you. But I am afraid the information I had from your sister-in-law concerning you has but too much truth in it. As he spoke this, he cast his eyes round my meanly furnished parlour, looked at the poor equipage of my tea-table, and again sipped his unfinished and now cold dish of coffee. "'Sir,' said I, "'when my sister informed you that I was poor, it is certain she spoke truth. I am not, however, I thank God, so poor, but that I can spare you a little.' If you will take a cheap lodging near me, I will supply you with enough to pay for it, and if you can eat as I and my family do, you shall be welcome to us every day till something can be done for you. I see but very few people, but I will speak to such as come in my way, to try to have you recommended to some one for employment. I then put my hand in my pocket, and taking out five shillings, all the silver I had, I put it into his hand. Sir, you may owe some little trifle where you have slept these two nights. I fear your lodging has been but poor, but if this will not discharge it, tell me freely. He suffered me to drop the shillings into his unclosed hands. He fixed his eyes eagerly on my face, but instead of replying to what he said, he only cried out, Good God! Good God! and undoing two or three buttons at his breast, he sobbed as if his bosom were bursting. I was affected with his gratitude, and tried to disperse the tears that mounted to my eyes. "'I wish I could weep,' said he, "'but I can't, and may these be the last tears that ever you shall have occasion to shed. My worthy, my generous, my pious relation, God forgive me for trying such a heart.' but I will reward it. Amply will I reward your goodness. He then drew a red letter-case out of his bosom, and opening it, he put a bill into my hand for two thousand pounds on the Bank of England. Think, my dear, how I stared at such a vision. 
"'Sir, you amaze me!' was all I could say. "'I beg your pardon for deceiving you,' said he, "'but it was with a good intent. "'I suppose it is needless to tell you that I am not "'that poor forlorn wretch that I represented myself to you. "'Hear the real truth of my circumstances. "'You see before you, of a private man, "'one of the richest subjects of these dominions.' You have heard that my setting out was no other than that of a common writing-clerk in a merchant's counting-house at Jamaica. From thence I wrote twice to your father, but never had any answer. I interrupted him to tell him I had heard my father say he had got one letter from him, and had writ to him in return, and afterwards made many inquiries after him, without success. "'Perhaps he might,' said he, "'but I never received it, nor heard of any inquiries made, "'which piqued me so that I resolved never to write again. "'In a little time I made myself so useful to my master "'that he grew exceedingly fond of me, "'and having no heir but an only daughter, "'who, it seems, had conceived an inclination for me, "'though without my suspecting it, "'but which her father had by some means discovered.' he frankly made an offer of her to me in marriage with an assurance of leaving me all that he was worth at his decease and an immediate proffer of entering into partnership with him the only return he required on my part was to change my name and assume his which was collet i made no scruple of complying for though my regard to the young lady had never risen to what is commonly called love I yet thought her in all respects an unexceptionable match. I married her. My patron punctually fulfilled his promise, and at the end of three years I found myself by his death in possession of a considerable estate. The following year I lost my wife in childbed of her first child, who died with its mother. The changing of my name was probably the occasion of my not being found out by those employed to inquire after me, and I perhaps ought now to acknowledge myself careless in not acquainting my friends with my good fortune. I had such uncommon success in trade that my wealth increased amazingly. In about five years after the decease of my first wife, I married the widow of a merchant with whom I got an immense fortune. This lady I truly loved. She was an amiable creature. I had one son by her, a fine youth, and we lived happily together for twelve years, at the end of which it pleased God to take from me both wife and child. Poor man, his tears began to flow here. He proceeded. After this loss my own life began to grow tiresome to me. I had more riches than I knew what to do with, and had nobody to leave them to. My health began to decline. I grew weary of the place, and resolved partly to defer my melancholy, and partly through affection to my native country, to see England once more. I settled my affairs in the best manner, sent considerable sums of money over before me, and brought a large one with me. 
during my voyage the whim took me that i would inquire privately after your family and present myself to you as i have done in order to make trial of your dispositions resolving according as i found you worthy of it to share my fortune amongst you as i knew i had no other relations in the world i have been in england above a month the first thing i did was to go down into wiltshire where i was soon informed that your father and mother were dead and that your brother was married and resided for the most part in london you i was told had been married and was a widow but i could learn no more about you on my return to town i soon found where your brother lived and had the pleasure to hear a good character of him but i had determined to make my own experiment on him and i did intend had he received me ever so kindly to have made the same experiment on you before i disclosed my plot to either of you i dressed myself in these old clothes on purpose and what the success of my scheme has been you know your brother narrow-hearted inhuman wretch i blot for ever from my thoughts it will be the better for you though i have more than enough for you both your kindness i tell you again my valuable relation i will repay an hundredfold accept of that bill in your hand for your present use i am sure you want it and accept of it only as an earnest of my future friendship towards you that brother in affluence himself who could see his sister such a sister want must have lost all regard to ties of blood and tis no wonder that i so much further removed in kindred met with such treatment at his hands see my cecilia what an amazing turn of fortune what could i do but lift up my eyes as i did my heart in silent adoration of that god who is a father to the fatherless and defendeth the cause of the widow it was some time before i could frame my mind to discourse on ordinary subjects i gratefully accepted my cousin's noble present he inquired minutely into my situation there was no need of concealing anything from him nor did i attempt it he was very inquisitive as to my brother's behaviour towards me i told him the whole of it he was even bitter in his invectives against him and lady sarah but said he i will have my revenge on them i will make you triumph over him and that proud upstart his wife what lodgings you are in my poor dear creature is this your best room i told him i had nothing but that and a bedchamber where the children and i lay and a closet for my maid he desired to see the children and i had them both brought in he kissed them tenderly poor babes you have a cursed uncle but you have a very good mamma and i will take care of you all i will dine with you to-morrow said he let us eat a comfortable morsel together and for your life not a word of what has passed to anybody he then took an affectionate leave of me and departed let me here lay down my pen and wonder at my fate i have got into a flow of spirits my dear what scenes of happiness might now open before me
if happiness consisted in riches alone but no no it does not my heart broken by vexation cannot recover its tranquillity so soon yet is there room for joy joy springing from a rational from a humane from a commendable motive and i will a little indulge it i can now in part return the vast obligation i own mr falkland as far at least as relates to pecuniary debts i can now repay manyfold the kindness of my good lady v i can provide for my affectionate worthy patty i have the delightful prospect of giving my children an education suitable to their birth and if my life is prolonged of seeing them honourably and happily settled in the world i shall have the glorious power of diffusing benefits oh my dear tis good for me that i have been in trouble it has so enlarged my charity that i feel transports which prosperity is a stranger to at the bare idea of having it in my power to succour the afflicted who would not suffer adversity to have the heart so improved. End of section 35